0: My name is Dominic, and I'm glad that you're joining us this morning. I want to share with you a couple, maybe some highlights if you will. I'm going to give you one highlight from the last two years and one kind of low light, I guess. Uh, One of the great joys for me for the last two years uh, is that my son has started playing soccer. I was a former soccer player, so I I love seeing him out there. But the bigger joy associated with that is just getting to share life and do life with a handful of families uh, that are part of the team. Some of them are part of his first grade, grade class as well, uh, so we get to overlap and do that. And we're sharing life kind of in these different realms, whether it's school drop-off and pick-up or, pick up or uh, just on the soccer field and things. And it's been really cool just to be doing life with people that don't yet know Jesus. The conversations that you get to have, uh, the ways that I find out they view me because they know who I am as a follower of Jesus and what I do <laughs> in the calling and vocationally. Um, And it's really interesting sometimes. And that's been a great joy. It's been awesome and fun. A couple of them have joined at times our Christmas Eve service when we did lights out in the the parking lot. There's some families that have come, and for some, it's their first exposure and step into a faith community. And that's been exciting and that's been awesome. That's been invigorating over the last two years. But one of the biggest challenges connected uh, to that over the last two years is that, unfortunately, I'm not following Jesus in a bubble. And I'm not just following Jesus with you guys as a community, right? We live in a day and a time where it's okay now and it's everywhere actually to talk about religion and politics. You know what I mean? It used to be okay not to or it used to be like the thing that you don't do. But in the last two years, like you just, you can't avoid it. And so there's times where something happens on the news and it's people who claim to be followers of Christ but then at the same time are promoting racism and they come to me with questions and I'm like, oh gosh. Or there's the issues at the border, and talks about what do we do with people who have been left or have been forced out of their home, and what's our response as a wealthy, privileged nation? How do we respond to those who are less privileged, who are hurting, who who are in need? And again, you hear in the news both sides and all these things. And then there's the stories all over in the last couple years of people in my position who have gotten caught in moral failures, and that's on the news. And so here I am doing life with these people, and then there's all these things that come up, right? And it's super fun. Now, if I'm being honest with you, even as a pastor, for me, those conversations are horrible. Sometimes I feel like I handle them well. Often, if I'm honest, I feel like I fumble through them. Partly because I I just can't get out of my own way. Because honestly, lots of times when I'm in those conversations, I'm human. Well, I'm always human, right? But I'm human in the sense of, I think it's more about me than it is about Jesus and because I think it's about me it gets really uncomfortable and I think I've got to defend me and who I am and what I believe and what I do and it really just messes it all up does anybody relate to that does that make sense to anybody I mean I, I want to be liked I'm, I'm, I'm by nature a people pleaser I, I want what I believe and want what I do to be valuable and one of the things I've learned over the last couple years is actually my role, my, my title, my vocation has actually declined and decreased in value in the eyes of the world. So that's really fun too. But again, then you get in these conversations with people who you're doing life with, and it's like, oh man, how, how, how Jesus, do I, do I follow you in this moment in a way that can somehow show them who you truly are, what you're really about? As again, they're just being surrounded by these news stories that just kind of drag your name through the mud. And please hear me, for me, it's not a political thing. I wherever you stand politically on some of those issues that I spoke of, for me, it's not a political thing. For me, it's a gospel thing. It's a Jesus Christ thing. And, and, and we can get into more of that at another time. But I'm excited this morning because we are um, in our second week in the book of Philippians. I don't know if you were with us last week or not. Um, if you weren't, I would encourage you. I usually don't tout my own talks or whatnot, but for the sake of this series, if you missed last Sunday, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the talk from last week as we kicked off Philippians. I gave some great context and just understanding to what we'll be talking about as we journey through the, this book over the next eight weeks or so. Really, our, our Lent journey leading up to, Christ, leading up to Easter. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited this morning because we're going to open up uh, the book of Philippians again. And we're going to continue this journey uh, through chapter one and just see what Paul writes about. See what God has to say to us through his living word. Um, through this letter. And so I want to read it. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 30. Um, And yeah, we're going to wrestle with this a little bit. So it says this, it says, I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, So just to give you a brief background, again, this is, if we were to go read Acts 16 as we did last week, we would see that this is Paul. He's in prison. Uh, it's about 60 AD, we believe. Paul had founded the church in Philippi uh, somewhere between like 48 and 50 AD. Uh, the first believers that he, uh, the first people that, that believed the gospel that he preached in Philippi, one was uh, a Gentile woman named Lydia who was wealthy. She, was, she had her own business and she sold goods. Uh, the second person, Um, Well, was her family member, they all came to faith too. The second was a slave girl. She was possessed and she was a fortune teller basically and she was owned by others in the city and they they gained money off of her and she was freed through through Christ. And then uh, there was the Philippian jailer because when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke freed the girl from the bondage that she was under, the, the town didn't like it. They, they saw it as an affront to their finances, to their spiritual system, to the, everything that happened in, in, their, in their city in their day and time, it was an affront to that. And so they stoned them, they beat them, they flogged them, they threw them in prison. And while they're in prison, uh, they sing, they worship, they honor Jesus. And the Philippian jailer uh, comes to know faith because through their prayers and through their worship, whether related or not, there was an earthquake, everybody in the prison could have gone free and so the, the jailer was about to commit suicide, and Paul and Timothy go, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And he runs in and says, then how do, I, how do I be freed from all of this? And they, again, they proclaim Christ. And it says in Acts 16 that, that he came to know Jesus, he and his whole family are baptized, and they're followed by Christ. So this, again, this is the context. This is the church that Paul's writing to. And this is the day and time. Uh, Philippi uh, It's a a Roman colony, basically. It's along this main route. It's about 800 miles away from Rome, but it's along a main trading route. There's gold mines. There's fresh water. It's a very booming metropolis, if you will, in this day and time. And it had privileged Roman citizenship. Roman citizenship in this day and time was like everything. What we'd find out in Acts 16, again, is that actually Paul was born. And so then when they found out that he was and he was in jail, they were like, oh, gosh, we got to let him free. We got to let him out. Roman citizenship was everything. The, the, the Caesar of the day actually was called Lord and Savior. There was this good news that he was gonna bring peace, that he was gonna bring goodness to the world, as it was known at that time, the Roman Empire. And so this, this, is, this is what Paul's doing. And Paul's writing this letter. It's different, we've said, than other letters. This is not, he's not debating uh, theology here. He's not giving apologetics here. This is a letter of friendship. And this is a letter of of encouragement. And because it is, what Paul does, what we just read in verses 12 to 18, is that Paul kicks off this letter. And one of the primary reasons is that he wants to tell them about how he's doing. See, they knew he was in prison, and so they sent money, they sent a servant to to be with him, to, to care for him. And so Paul's wanting to write this letter and send it back in order that they know what's going on with him. And that's what we read in 12 to 18. And basically what Paul is saying is this. He's basically wanting to address their greatest fears and their greatest worries. And their mind, and they know that they're, their leader, this man that, that proclaimed the gospel to them and they've all received freedom in, they're about a 10-year-old church only, and they're worried, is, is he going to be okay? But also they're worried, what's going to happen to us? What's gonna to happen to us who, who follow this gospel? I mean, our main spokesman is in prison. Our main spokesman is basically devalued. How are people around in this city and, and in this Roman empire, how are they gonna to respond to this gospel now? And what's gonna be our status? Are you alive or are you dead? Because if you're alive or if you're dead, that kind of may be paving the way for what's gonna to happen to us. And it's amazing because what Paul's words are regarding this situation, he speaks directly to their fear, he speaks directly to their worries, and he addresses two major problems. First problem is this. Paul's a traveling apostle, right? And now he's in prison and he can't travel anymore. But what Paul does is he addresses and he speaks to this, primarily speaking to his duty and his calling. And what Paul says here is, you know what? I might not be able to fulfill my primary duty, but no matter where I am and regardless, I can fulfill my primary calling. See, for Paul, his duty and the vocational thing that he was called to do was to travel around proclaim the gospel, plant churches, and he's stuck in prison. He can't do that. He's in prison for doing that, we know. But what does Paul say? Paul says, I rejoice in this. Why? Because in my imprisonment, the gospel is continuing to move forward. Though I can't function in this context right now the way I normally would, the way I would like to, the gospel actually is advancing. He writes and he says that everybody in the Praetorian Guard, everybody in that Imperial Guard, every, all these Roman soldiers who are being associated with me, who are having to come and watch me and keep an eye on me 24-7 to make sure I don't get out, they're all hearing the gospel. Because as people come and visit, I talk to them about the gospel. As they're with me and I rejoice and I pray, they're beginning to understand the gospel. Paul says, I might be in this context chained and confined and not be able to fulfill my primary duties, But no one can take away from me the ability to to do my primary calling or my primary responsibility. For him, his primary responsibility and his primary calling, what he understood was to proclaim the gospel no matter where he was. Hard context, easy context, free, in jail. For him, it was about living a life acknowledging Christ and proclaiming his goodness in the ways that he could, wherever he could, as he did. It wasn't about being, having the freedom to do it in the way that I used to, that I wanted to, made the most sense, that brought me the most glory. For him, it was faithful. Here I am in this place, I will proclaim Christ. And Paul says because he was doing that, actually, again, the message was being known all throughout the Roman Empire, even more so because of these guards understanding and hearing and talking to one another. He said, but also his imprisonment and his proclamation of the gospel, even in that place, he said it was making it so that the brothers and sisters were also more bold to speak about the word of God without fear. Pretty incredible. Paul's basically saying to them, this first problem that you guys are very concerned about me being in prison and that I'm concerned about me being in prison, God's actually you, you taken it and used it for good. God's actually taken this hardship and used it for his glory. Second thing he says then is this. There's these other people out there <laughs> who are preaching the gospel Not for the right reasons, but out of vain conceit or for their own glory. We don't know exactly who these people are. Reading some commentaries, there's two different groups. Potentially it's those who were in the city or missionaries as well that weren't necessarily aligned with Paul, but they wanted to get some glory. And they were like, okay, Paul's in prison. This is our chance to get some glory. Paul has gotten some glory, he's known as this great guy, Well, he's in prison, forget him, this is our chance. And they're out there proclaiming the gospel, but they're not doing it for the right intent, he says. They're doing it again, for their, they're trying to get status. They're trying to, maybe it's for offerings, maybe it's for whatever, but they're out there trying to get attention with the gospel. That's one group. The other group potentially is that, yeah, as Paul is proclaiming the gospel, it's a gospel, again, that is opposed to the gospel of Caesar as king, it's Jesus as king, and there's people in this society who are really upset about that. Again, this is a Roman colony, Roman, Rome is the day, Caesar is the man, it's all about that, that's our allegiance, that's who we align with. And because Paul was saying, no, 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 it's about Jesus, there's this, there's this tension, right? But since so these people are out there and they're going, oh, actually, if we talk about this Jesus, that's gonna actually be in trouble. Maybe Caesar will actually kill him. We don't know why Caesar is prolonging this, we don't know why he's getting to live still, but we want him dead. And so they're actually talking about Jesus more and more and more. So you have these two groups that are out there and they're for their own reasons, they're talking about Jesus. The way I view that, or I hear that often, is going, they're, they're talking about Jesus in a way other than the way Paul does. And what does Paul say? Paul basically looks, at the, looks and writes and sorry. he basically says, there's no such thing as bad press, y'all. <laughs> there's no such thing as bad press. They're talking about Jesus, and that's a good thing. Again, that's not the way I think, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And it's amazing to me, because Paul closes that by saying this, he says, only that in every way, every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. In that, I rejoice. Paul's words, again, about this situation, it's, it's to put their fears aside. It's also to encourage them and encourage them in joy, encourage them in faith. And this, the very next section that he leads into, then he says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, because for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. See, I'm amazed, church, because Paul expresses a robust confidence in God's overruling power, even when everything seems like it's going wrong. And what I propose to you is this. It's because it's not just that Paul was sold out to a partnership and a purpose as we talked about last week. But it's because Paul was sold out to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What Paul does here is take this conversation again from partnership and purpose and he moves it to a personal relationship. See, for Paul, how how, how can he stand there? How can he sit there in prison and say, I'm really torn between what I want to do. Like... I could either be here and die and that's okay. Or I could be freed and come out and hang out with you guys again and that's okay too. He literally says, like, which one is better? I don't know. I mean, like, what is it? What is it, Paul? <laughs> What's gotten into you? What are you thinking? Like, who do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, what have you been drinking? That you would literally sit there, having been beaten, having been flogged. You're in prison, not just for the first time, but time and again. And you would sit there and you would say, I don't know which i'd really prefer to do and it's, it's not because he's not depressed right he just said i'm rejoicing in this this isn't depression this isn't like someone who's insane who's like at the end of their width and like oh life is so bad i just want to get out of here no he's literally sitting there i'm torn which which, which 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 would be better and there's two things that are amazing to me about this paul says again for to me to live is christ and to die is gain again paul had such a confidence in the reality of who Jesus was for him personally, but also to who Jesus was and his power and love at work in the world. That Paul basically was saying, life after prison, if I get out of here, it's going to mean me living in partnership, getting to know Jesus more and more and partnering with him so that more and more people can come to know the freedom and love of Jesus too. Or if I die, you know what, that's okay because why? I'm going to go face to face and see my Lord and Savior. You know, Paul writes in Corinthians and he says that faith, hope, and love The greatest of these is love. Why why does he write that in in Corinthians to them? See, because when we die, the object of our faith will be right there in front of us. And we will not need faith anymore the way we have to exercise it here on this earth. Hope, the fulfillment of our hope will be right in front of us when we die. And so we won't have anything to hope in anymore. It'll be fulfilled in front of us. And what's going to endure, what's going to last is Love. Christ himself, love embodied face to face with us. That's Paul's perspective here. That as long as I'm living on this earth, again, it's not just about purpose. It's not just about calling. It's not just about vocationally what I get to do. It's not just about the recognition I get from that vocational doing. It's not about what I earn from what I do. For Paul, in in the midst of all of it, he says, life is about Jesus. The one who has saved me, the one who has pursued me, the one who has bestowed on me a love and a grace and identity that I don't deserve but that has freely given it to me reminded me that I am of worth and I am of value to the God that created all of this. He came down and he entered into this and he changed and transformed my story. And because of that, he says, that's life. And so if I live that here in prison or if I get freed from here and I get to come be with you, it's going to be about life in Christ. It's going to be about knowing Christ. I think about what Paul wrote to the Galatians years prior. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, here's the thing, you guys. I think purpose and passion will only take us so far, but personal relationship will sustain you forever. See, again, for Paul, this wasn't just about purpose and passion, although the proclamation and the moving forward of the gospel was, was, was penultimate for Paul. What was ultimate was knowing Jesus, intimately knowing, personally knowing the living, risen Christ. And Paul believing that that resurrection was for him as well, as long as he was willing to die to his flesh and die to himself and the things that God was leading him to die to. What's miraculous to me about this is that not only does Paul live with that perspective in the context that he's living in, but also that he comes down and he says this. He says, to remain in the flesh is actually more necessary on your account, in verse 25, 4. And 25, convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and I'm going to continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul actually says, you know what, for me it's better actually if I die, (laughs) But for you, it's better that I live. And therefore, I want to choose what's actually better for you. See, for Paul, again, this is so much driven by the joy and the love, the grace that he knows in personal relationship with Jesus, that it allows him to look at his circumstances and to look at the context of the world and those with him and not view it with these myopic goggles or lens that causes him to look at just what's good for him. It allows him to look up and look with a bigger picture and actually look at the needs of another when he himself is in the most hard-up position. It's pretty crazy. See, again, purpose and passion and partnership, commitments, they'll only take you so far. But personal relationship with a Savior who is sacrificial and loving beyond all else will lead you also to be sacrificial and loving beyond what makes sense. And Paul goes on to say to them, verse 27 to 30, and he says this, he says, because this is the perspective, because this is what I believe is true, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. See again, here's Paul in prison not concerned by himself but again he's writing this letter out of friendship he's writing this letter out of concern for them and he writes to encourage them in verse 27 where it says only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel basically the the root meaning of the verb clause that paul uses there he's basically saying to them exercise citizenship exercise citizenship and what he's saying to them is exercise kingdom citizenship make sure that your public life and your behavior matches up with the gospel See, again, Roman citizenship was everything. And what Paul's saying to Lydia, what Paul is saying to the slave girl, what Paul is saying to this jailer and this 10 year old church, again, who have done some good things, who have exercised some faith, but are living in this context that is against them or at odds with them, he says to them, don't prize your Roman citizenship as the greatest thing that you have because it's not. What you ought to remember and prize is your kingdom of God citizenship bestowed on you by christ because that's actually the greatest thing that you have and so live your life he says in a manner that is worthy of this exercise kingdom citizenship stand firm in one spirit stand firm in the spirit of christ the same spirit that he says i believe is sustaining me and is giving me encouragement and strength in the midst of my suffering it's yours as well stand firm in that spirit together he says, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Again, this, this call to partnership. Yes, live out for this common purpose. But do it in what? In the context of relationship. Do it together. Don't, don't, let, don't let the things that they're fighting about out there, don't let that get in and cause fighting among you. That, that's Roman citizenship stuff. You have kingdom citizenship. And he says to them, don't be frightened by your opponents. Again, leaning into this reality of the power and the beauty, the love of the resurrection that what they're doing to you or what might happen to you as you engage in this same struggle that you understand and see that I'm in right now, don't, don't don't let it be fearful for you. Don't let it squash your faith. Don't let it discourage you. So I think one of the things that Paul does, and we'd be wise to do today as a church as well, is to think about the fact that if we look at the context that we're living in, and I think Paul again was doing this, looking at his context. If we look at the context we're living in, and we look at that in light of the context Of the church throughout the history of the world or even look at the context we're living in and the hardships and the sufferings that we face here and we do that in light of even a global Christianity what it does is it helps us remember and remind us that if Jesus was Lord over all of those other eras (laughs) and if the church was sustained and thrived in all the other hardships and if there are people all around this world right now who are suffering actually real true persecution and we're sitting here in our places of privilege do you not think that God's gonna sustain us too in the midst of this do you not think that the resurrected Christ will come and meet and minister to us in the places of our need and sustain us to live by faith? So I think that's basically what Paul was saying to them here. He says, when you remember that you're now suffering in the same way that I'm suffering, he goes, but granted, yes, the gospel gives you this grace of life, but the gospel also calls you into the suffering of Christ. And church, I think this message of, of Philippians is, is super important to us. Here's, I want to talk about this personally for a minute. See, Paul's saying to them, exercise kingdom citizenship. Basically, what I think Paul is doing, again, in this letter of friendship, again, one of the key things he's doing, he's giving them a call to resilience. And I think that's what God's been doing in my heart in the last two years, in those stories that I'm telling you with with my neighbors and in the context. God's God's teaching me to be a more resilient follower of him, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of him, because I'm a child of God given a new identity by grace in Christ. And God's been inviting me to be more resilient as a follower of Jesus. See, here's the thing, one of the basis key points of our Christian belief in theology is that Jesus is already king of the world, right? How many of you guys believe that Jesus is king of the world right now? Do you believe that? Okay. Does the world believe that? No. So one of the basis key point foundational things of our faith actually puts us at odds with the world, does it not? It means that what we believe is not popular. It means that what I do and the way I act and the way I comport myself in light of the message of the gospel is not the same way that everybody else does. It means that there's going to be moments when I'm in a context with these people who I love and who I'm praying for with my sons, but there going to be times with them that I'm, I'm the odd man out. We live in a post-Christian, post-modern, secular world that does not believe that Jesus is king of all right now. That's actually, if I'm a follower and disciple of Jesus, that's actually one of the key things that I believe. So I'm naturally at odds with this culture. Right? And yet what Paul is saying to them is live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Exercise kingdom citizenship. But here's the thing. What I don't think that means, I don't think that means live out a culture war. (laughs) What that means is Remember the love and the grace that you have received from God in Christ when you did not deserve it. Remember the compassion that God has poured out on you every time that you have failed or done something that is not in line with his thinking. Remember the grace and the goodness of God in everything that you have. And then when you look at the world, you're not going up against them in a culture war, but you look at them with the same eyes of compassion look at them with the same grace and the same love and you look at them and you're compelled to interact and engage with them not in a battle of a culture war but in a way that says let me show you who my Jesus is let me show you the love that I received when I did not deserve it let me show you the grace that I wake up to every single day that I need let me show you and share with you the identity that I have that this world cannot take away from me And Paul's saying, then comport yourself or live in a manner or exercise your citizenship in light of all of those truths. And he says, because that will transform. He said, that will show them what is true and what is not true. And it will show you as well what is true and what is not true. Paul's saying, live resiliently in light of the grace and the love of God extended to you in Christ. And it will be cause for joy for you. It will be cause for for encouragement for you, not just to look at the context and go, ah, but to have the ability to stand firm in it, side by side with others who believe Jesus is king as well, and to move forward in love and compassion so that others see who Jesus truly is, even when there is other bad press out there. So let me give you a couple practices for for resiliency. One, I would say this. Church, we have to live with a renewed love and joy in Jesus every single day. Otherwise, we're going to do two things. We are going to want to enter into a culture war, or we're just going to tuck tail and do everything just like the world does. And in either case, we're not living out the true gospel, and we're going to be impotent. But live each day in the renewed love and joy in Jesus. How do you do that? Spend time with the one who loves you the most. And I know you think that's your wife or your husband, it's not. I know you think that's your kids, it's not. I know you think that's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, it's not. I know you think it's the person talking from you a thousand miles away on the screen, it's not. It's not. Jesus Christ loves you perfectly and holistically far and above and beyond anyone else in this world ever could and we've got to spend time we've got to and i'm not trying to dictate what that looks like for you each of us are wired differently and god invites us to engage with him differently but we've got to as christians in this day and in this time we've got to figure out what are the ways that i can put myself in a position to receive the grace of god and to soak in his love in a way that reminds me of the truth of who i am so that i can go and live my life in a manner worthy of the gospel Take the walks if you've got to take the walks. Find the quiet space if you've got to find the quiet space. Listen to, the, to, the, to that podcast that encourages you, whatever it is. But you've got you to gotta be spending time regularly with Jesus and allow his love for you to be renewed day and day and day and day so that your joy in him and the remembering of that grace grows and grows and grows. Do you remember Paul's prayer last week? Paul's prayer last week was, I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Again, that knowledge is not just head knowledge, but he uses the word knowledge holistically, meaning may your love abound more and more and more in experience. If you want to live as a resilient Christian, you've got to allow your experience of God's love to grow for you. Put yourself in a place to receive the grace that is there for you every single day. Engage with practices, again, that remind you of how loved you are, of how valuable you are, of how much beauty God sees in you. And ask him, Lord, open my eyes to the beauty of who you are and what you want to do in my life. Live with a renewed love and joy in Jesus. The second practice I would say for resilience, again, that Paul speaks to here is live in authentic relationships. You need to have places where you can go and you can talk with people honestly about what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Have places where you can be real and raw and go, this is my failure. This is my mistake. This is my mess up. This is the thing I'm struggling with. In this conversation with with these non-believing people, I failed and I messed up. I ended up doing this exact same thing as them or I I messed and failed in that, or whatever it is, but you've got to be able to have those places of authentic, honest relationship, again, that embody the reality of the gospel for you. I have those places, and what I love, one of the guys in one of those spaces, he goes, this is the most real the gospel have ever been in my life, is when we get together and we talk about these things. He goes, you guys put flesh on Jesus for me. Christian, do you have those places? Do you have those spaces? You've got to have them. You've got to find them. We have, we, we've created some here. Step in. Come in. If you want to live resiliently by faith, you've got to have places where you can be naked and raw and honest before other believers about what's going on in your life. And they accept you and they receive you again, and they remind you and they embody for you the grace and the love of Jesus. Third practice of, of resilience and this is tied pretty close to the first and the second. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm huh, but hope in the resurrection. You got to do an honest survey about what am I truly putting my hope in? Where am I truly placing my hope? Again, I think over the last couple of years, we've seen there's all these little carrots of dangling of hope. Like when this comes, we're all going to be good. When this comes, we're back to normal. When we get this, everything's going to be all right. When this, no, 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 no. Like, right, come on, are we done with that yet? believing that this world is actually going to be able to give us something that is a true hope that's actually going to be fulfilled. See, Paul's whole basis, again, in this this chapter here, even though it's a letter of friendship and of encouragement, his whole basis is it's hope in the resurrection. Again, the fact that he can say, if I live, it's for Christ, and if I die, great, it's better for me. Why? Because he truly believes in the resurrection. His hope alone is in the resurrected Christ and the implications that has for his life as one who's been saved by grace through faith, that that resurrection is mine as well. I don't know when, and I don't know where I'll be, and I don't even know exactly how that's going to happen, but resurrection life is going to be mine in Christ as well someday. And for Paul, that, that, that steers him, that guides him, that allows him to say, yeah, in the midst of all of this, I've got nothing to fear. I've got nothing to be afraid of. And again, it's not flippant, it's not foolish, it's not depressed, it's, it's, it's grounded in this reality of the person of Jesus. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, this is at the end of a whole chapter that he writes about the resurrection. When Paul writes and he says, death, where's your sting? <laughs> death, where's your victory? And he's basically saying it, it's gone. It's not because of the resurrection. He says in verse 15, or excuse me, verse 58 of chapter 15, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, basically the gospel, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, Paul says almost the same thing he says here in Philippians, all because of this reality of, of the resurrection, finding and living grounded in the hope of the resurrection. And so in light of those, those three principles, in light of all we talked about today, here, here's some questions I want you to consider. Here's, here's things I want us to consider for application together as a church. First one would be this, what publicity and reputation is Christ receiving through my life? And what about if I died? See, on one hand, Paul says there's no such thing as bad press. (laughs) On the other hand, Paul says if you're a believer, what type of press are you giving to Christ? And it could be bad. (laughs) But think about that, honestly. What, what's the publicity? What's the press that Christ is getting, receiving through your life right now? In work, in school, in your neighborhood, in relationships, what, what's the press that Christ gets right now? And what about if you died? See, I think that's one of the things that God's been challenging me with over the last two years, is every time I read the news thing and I'm, a, and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to have the conversation with this person who doesn't know Jesus yet. He's going to ask me, hey, did you see that article that I saw about that other pastor who failed? Hey, what? Like every time I go, oh, those guys... And every time God goes to me, he just reminds me, he goes, what about you? What, what, what press is your life bringing me? And if you were to die, what press would, would your life bring? Again, I think the gospel calls us to live not, not with our eyes here, but with a perspective toward the day that Christ is returning, that he is coming. Or the fact that there is a day that my life will end. And what's the press that Christ receives through my life? Second question for application would be this. What things do I need to die to so that the gospel is shared through my life? What are the things you need to die to so that the gospel can be shared through your life? For me, I've had to realize, again, in these conversations with these non-believing people, the thing I've had to die to is the desire to be liked. Also, the desire that, um, that, that it would be about me. Or the desire that uh, this is just going to go easy and it's going to be, or the desire that they're not going to ask me about that. Like this, 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 do you see what I'm saying? Again, like I, I, I want to be liked. And that's not always the case as a follower of Jesus. I, I need to die to my own comfort. <laughs> I need to die to my own privilege in those conversations as well. I need to die to the fact that sometimes I want to believe and pretend like I can know it all and not. And even in those conversations sometimes just go, you know what, I, I, I don't really know the answer for that. But I'm willing to walk through that with you. Or I'm willing to like, or, or can I come back? Like, can we, you know, like, you know, sometimes you know, when you're put on the spot in those. You know what I'm saying? You just feel like, oh, this is, I got to do it. I got to do it. You know, am I alone in that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's me. There you go. I got to die to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to die to want to be right and just go, you know what? Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in this and attention to that. What about for you? What are the things you need to die to so that the gospel can be shared in your life? Three, where in my life do I need to adopt a gospel perspective? Again, where, where do I need to have a long view? Where do I need to engage, embrace a more sovereign perspective? Belief that even in the midst of the hardship, the crazy, that God is sovereign over this. And, and, and it's not out of control for him. It's not out of mind for him. It's not surprise to him, although this all may to be. But where, where, where do I need to believe more that, that Jesus truly is king? And he's Lord over all of this. And he's not sitting up there... And sovereignty just removed no he's still actively engaged his spirit is at work to lead to guide me to love me to encourage me but where do I need to tap into that reality by again having a a, a perspective shift a paradigm change setting my eyes on something different and finally the fourth thing I'd encourage you to wrestle with again just those practices of resilience what is it going to be for you this week What's going to help you renew your love, or, or be reminded of how much God loves you, and to be able to find joy in Jesus this week? Where is that? What's that going to be? Authentic relationships. Who is it? Where is it? Where are those spaces that that, that you know you need to stop hiding? Even the people you need to stop hiding from, because they're the ones that ask you a h- honest and hard questions because they actually love you. Who who are those people? Where are those places that you need to step into, and allow yourself to be encouraged through that, knowing that there's there's no shame in the gospel, but it's grace, it's freedom, it's love. And again, where where, where or what will allow you to have renewed hope in the gospel this week? I love Philippians because it's not just light and easy, it's going to challenge us. And if you feel tension this morning, that's okay. If you're waiting there to say, please, pastor, wrap this up nice and pretty, I'm not going to. Come back next week and we'll talk some more about the gospel, but church... I believe that, yeah, the times we're living in, again, they're hard, they're challenging. I don't know what the next week, next month, what things are going to look like, when things are going to shift, when things are going to change. On one hand, I wish I knew all that. But again, I think God's just inviting me to be more resilient just in my own faith as a person and to encourage us to be more resilient together as a community. Because if we do that, we'll be able to still live as salt and light as we are called to we'll still be able to have a gospel impact. Even when the press is bad, there'll be those who will be able to share who Jesus truly is, and others will come to know him. And honestly, that's That's what it's all about.